Lord, we declare Hosanna. Hosanna to the King of Kings. His name is Jesus. Precious Jesus. King of my heart. King of glory. Lord, as we step into this passage in Corinthians, as we think about the significance of the message and the power of the cross, pray, Lord, that you would speak right now. I pray right now in this moment we would have this incredible experience of your kingdom come, this on earth as it is in heaven, this already not yet together in this space. Lord, I pray that your cruciform way, the way of the cross, would speak into each of our lives. Lord, I pray that your spirit would speak in only the ways that you can, that you could use a broken vessel like me to speak your truth. And each of us could feel like today this was for us, including myself. So we invite your spirit to work. We are eager. We are ready. We declare that we will not be distracted by anything else, and we are listening to you. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Or afresh on this place. We pray this together in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, King, Resurrector. Amen. Today, there's this big idea I want to ask you, and it's around a question Where's the cross? Have you been asking that today? Where's the cross? Have you noticed? As we, if you weren't here last week, we are in the process of redesigning our stage, and don't worry, another cross is coming. It takes steps. It'll be here next week, uh, but one of the challenges we've had is as we've gone online and wanted to be engaging is on our video camera, there was like a big telephone pole in the background, and so we wanted to have the cross be something that everyone can see and be a part of that is good for all, and so we are redesigning that, but that cross has also been here for 16 years. It's a cross that many of us sat in and worshiped and sang together, and it's, it's, it's sentimental, we get that. I know for me, it's, 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 it, I'm excited about the changes and all the things that we get to do, but there's also a, pe a piece always in changing of grieving over losing some things, and that, I think it's important to recognize that. But in God's perfect providence, I truly think that there's something he wants to teach us today around this question. Where is the cross in your life? Think about this. As you think about a cross, where is the cross in your life? And he hear this, think about this right now. What is it doing? Where is the cross in your life? And what is it doing? Is it just a symbol of, of sentimentality? Is it something that reminds you of, of worship? Is it, is it something that you identify with? Where is the cross in your life, and what is it doing? Today, we're gonna look at a passage in Corinthians that I think helps us very explicitly ask this question. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter one. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to open up there it's also in the Pew Bibles. We're gonna be working our way through that. And as we look at that, we're gonna be asking this question or answering this question about what the cross does. I think this is really important. I've been 
praying and thinking about this all week. What's the big deal with the cross? What does it do? What does the cross do? So as you think through this, as you ask this question, the first thing that we see in Corinthians as Paul is writing to the early church is that we see that the cross has something, a purpose in it, in its message. See, for the cross, its message, the word of the cross, divides humanity. Its message divides humanity. There's, there's really only two ways to look at it. You fall in one camp or the other as you think about the cross, if you're being honest. Look at what Paul here says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 21. He says, for the word, this is the word, the logos, the message, the word of the cross is folly. If you're looking at an NIV, it would say foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will, I will thwart. And they ask this question, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. See, in this passage, Paul is writing to an audience of Jews and Greeks. In this passage, he's writing to an audience as when they heard of the cross, they didn't see it as a symbol that was something endearing. On the contrary, they saw the cross as a symbol of, of murder, as a symbol of punishment. They saw the cross as this evil, horrible thing that killed and tortured criminals and slaves. It would be equivalent to us having necklaces and, and singing about electric chairs or gas chambers. This message of the cross in the church divided humanity. And you see here, Paul talks about three different people who had a hard time with the cross. He says, first here, he says, where is the one who is wise in that age, in the, in the age of the Greek philosophers? It was, you would see it as, as the more wise you are, the more knowledge you have, the more status you have. He's, he's speaking to this person. He says, where is the one who is wise? Or where is the scribe, the scribe, being the one who would know the Torah? the one who would know the law, the one who would know all of the religious ways, all of the law that says you do all of these things to be righteous in God's eyes. He says, where is the debater of this age, the orator? 
This was the people who would debate and, and rhetoric at that time, the people who had this high status, who everyone looked to for answers and to wisdom. And in this culture, P Paul is lifting up these sources that everybody says we need to follow those ways. And he says, those ways are different than the ways of the cross. He says, to them, the cross is foolishness, it's folly. Because it's doing something, and you're either one who says, yeah, it's about knowledge. Yes, life is about gaining wisdom and gaining status and gaining influence. Does that sound familiar? Yes, life is about following all the ways that we should live, doing all the do's, not doing all the don'ts, learning all the things that we do, saying all the things, doing all the things, earning all the things, trying our best to be good people. And Paul is saying the message of the cross is very different. Remember, as we think about this, we're asking the question, Where's the cross in your heart? Where's the cross in your life? And so we see here that Paul is telling us that first the cross, it divides. Second, its message divides humanity and it also, its power, displays divine intervention. Its power displays, it does something. It's not just this message that causes us to squirm a little bit, that causes us to feel a little uncomfortable. We believe that the, the power of the cross does something. There's an actual force that it does something. Look at what Paul says in verses 22 to 25. He says, for Jews demand signs. If you've been following along in the gospel accounts and you read through them, you see time and time again, the scribes and the Pharisees say to Jesus, they say, give us a sign. Give us a sign of the kingdom that is coming. We know that a sign is coming. Give us a sign. They're, they're anxious for the Christ, for the Messiah to come. It says, the Jews demand signs. Greeks, they seek wisdom. They seek answers. They seek revelation. They seek to understand. But then look at the opposite. It says, but we... We being the church, we being the apostles and the disciples and the early church, the Catholic apostolic church, we preach what? Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. This was such a stumbling block. When we say, when he says we preach Christ crucified, that word for Christ is going back to the whole Old Testament story of the Messiah who would come, of the line of David who would rule, who would reign. So when he says this, he says we preach that that Christ is crucified. And not just killed in any way on a cross. A, a, a tool that was used to punish slaves and criminals. Not something that a king, not the way that a king, not the way that Christ himself in our worldly understanding would understand. It says, but we preach Christ crucified. And then he kind of sums it up here in verse 25. He says, for the foolishness of God 
is wiser than men. And even the weakness of God is stronger than men. This is so divine. You see, no human could understand or come up with this truth that God would use a cross, God would use this foolish, horrible, evil thing for his glory. And he would use what, what Jesus did on the cross as a means for his people to follow him. And ever since the cross happened, the world was never the same. Ever since Good Friday. Everything changed. If you love to read uh, history books, there's a historian uh, named Tom Holland. He wrote a book called Dominion. He's actually not a Christian, but he has studied ancient history. He grew up in Sunday school, it says, but then he had some issues with the creation account, and he's still searching and seeking. But as he came to study ancient history, he started to realize as he studied it that at this moment in time, as, as, as he looks at the ancient text, that the readings and the writings of the crucifixion changed the path of humanity. You see, before it was always about power. It was always about hierarchy. It was always about the high and the low and trying to make your, your way up through the ranks. But then there were these people called Christians who started to say there was this new way of the cross. There was this new way of sacrificial living that changed the world. And actually, in his book, he says that a lot of people question or, have, or wonder how we even know about a cross. Because the Romans, they would not want you to know that they take ownership of this evil torture. There's not a lot in writings that talk about the cross, but there's four writings in ancient history that write of the cross. Do you know those four writings? You're familiar with them. They're called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Four writings in our history that speak of a cross, that give us details of the way that the Romans used the cross to torture and kill slaves and criminals. He writes this in his book. I found it so fascinating as he, as he thinks on the way that the cross changed everything for humanity. He said, the ambition of Dominion, that's the name of his book, is to trace the course of what one Christian, writing in the third century AD, themed the flood tide of Christ. How the belief that the son of the one God of the Jews had been tortured to death on a cross came to be so enduringly and widely held that today most of us in the West are doled to just how scandalous it originally was. This book, Dominion, explores what it was that made Christianity so subversive and disruptive. How completely it came to saturate the mindset of Latin Christendom and why in a West that is often doubtful of religious claims, so many of its instincts remained for good and ill, thoroughly Christian. It is, to coin a phrase, the greatest story ever told. So we see here in Corinthians, Paul telling us 
the message of the cross does something. It divides humanity, and its power displays divine intervention. Only God would use this to change the world. As you think about that, I want to ask you again, where is the cross in your life? And what is it doing? Where is the cross in your life and what is it doing? I'm not talking about it being a relic. I'm not talking about it being a decoration. I'm not talking about, in our teaching team, Eddie said, a um, uh, you know, vampire, to keep the vampires away. I'm talking about your life. Where is the cross and what's it doing? D.A. Carson wrote a book on the cross and, and, and he focuses on this passage. I found it really helpful. He said this about the cross. He said, I fear that the cross, without ever being disowned, is constantly in danger of being dismissed from the central place it must enjoy by relatively peripheral insights that take on far too much weight. Whenever the periphery is in danger of displacing the center, we are not far removed from idolatry. Is the cross central to your life? Is the cross central to your story? Is the cross central to your confession? Do you believe, as the Nicene Creed says, for our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate? I love that line. It's personal. It's saying that the cross, not a cross, the cross that the Son of God, the Son of Man, died on was for our sake. Under Pontius Pilate. You ever wonder why we say Pontius Pilate? Because Pontius Pilate is a, is a part of history. Everyone would agree that Pontius Pilate existed. So when we confess this, we're saying the cross happened. We're saying Christ our Lord really did die on a cross for our sake. Where's the cross and what is, what is it doing? Do you need a savior? Here's a question, especially in the West that I think we should ask. Do I need the cross? Remember earlier he said, look at the scribe. Where is the scribe? Oftentimes in religion, oftentimes in church, oftentimes in, 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 in Christianity, we can get caught up in a way of living where we start to believe the lie that we don't need a cross. We start to think that maybe if I just go to, a, if I go to church every week, if I say the prayers, if I serve in all the right ways, and, and really... If I'm not as bad as that person, I'll be okay. I've heard it said, you know, I hope when I, when I get to heaven and I'm at the pearly gates, I just hope that the Lord says, you did good enough. That confession says, I don't need a cross. If you say that, if you believe that, you need to check your theology. 
That is not a Christian confession. That is not a saved confession. A saved confession is when the Lord looks at me, he doesn't see me, he sees the righteousness of Christ. And I don't say, I just hope I was good enough. I say, thank the Lord for Christ. Thank the Lord that I have a Savior who died for me in my place, who imputed to me his righteousness and took on all of my sin, all of my emptiness. I love on Palm Sunday, we remember the triumphal entry, the time in the Gospels where Jesus is riding in on a donkey. In this story, it's so profound, I would encourage you to read it today in any of the gospel accounts. In this story, it says that the people were throwing their coats down, a form of saying, we, we trust you, we're gonna, we're gonna believe in you, and it says that they were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna is a really fun word. The word Hosanna itself means Yahweh saves. It says that they were throwing down their coats and they were saying, Yahweh saves, which is also another way of saying, Jesus us. You see, Jesus' name means Yahweh saves. And Hosanna was saying, Yahweh save us now. So when you say Hosanna, you're saying, Yahweh save us now. Or when you're saying Hosanna, you're also saying, Jesus us now. Jesus us now. I need a savior. I need Jesus on the cross to do something. Save us now. And in the story, it says that there were people who were throwing down their coats and they were saying, Hosanna, and there were some scribes and some Pharisees who were at a distance who were questioning, who were saying, who does he think he is? And there were probably some people who one minute were throwing down their coats and saying, Hosanna, and the next minute, they're thinking he's walking in to take out Rome. And they don't realize that he was riding in to die on the cross. Look at what Jesus said in Luke 19, 41. It says, then when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. Our Lord wept over the city. He said, would you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. What's he talking about there? He's talking about the cross. He says, but now they are hidden from your eyes. We know he would go to the garden and he would weep literal blood, sweat blood for you. When you say Hosanna, when you say Jesus save us, is it a Jesus who needs to die on a cross for your sins or is it a Jesus who needs to take out all your enemies and help you with living better? I love what it says in Colossians as it talks about the victor. As it talked about, remember we're asking, where is the cross in your life and what's it doing? Look at what it says in Colossians. I would encourage you, if you want extra credit, to read Colossians 1 and 2 this week. It says this, and you, talking to the church, you who were dead in your trespasses, your sins, your debts, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, there was something in you is outside in your flesh that was causing you to be lifeless. It says, but God, 
made alive together. What's the cross doing? With him, Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of the debt, the trespasses that stood against us with the legal demands. That is, this he set aside. Remember we asked what, what's the cross doing? Nailing it to the cross. Earlier, we had a prayer where Brad invited you to give your burdens and your sins to Jesus. It says that he disarmed the rulers and authorities. This is talking not about Rome. This is talking about the spiritual rulers, but the evil forces. This is going all the way back to Eden when the Lord said to Adam, he said, out of your seed will come one who will have, who it will be bit on the heel by a serpent, but you will what? Crush his head. He's saying this happens. He will put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Okay? As you think about your life, as you think about your week, as you think about even maybe the drive over here, Where is the cross and what's it doing in your life? You see, the church, the true Christian church, understands what theologians today call the cruciform way. Cruciform is a fancy way of saying the way of the cross. There's this cruciform way in light of what Christ has done that we follow. And as you think about where is the cross and what's it doing, it seems to me in this passage, Paul tells us three things that I want us to focus on as we think about this Holy Week, as we prepare our hearts for Easter. And as we ask this question, where is the cross and what's it doing, I, I, I was talking to Amador about this and I said, Amador, I'm preaching about the cross. And I know in God's providence that we have no cross and that's really sad, but I said, can you figure out a cross for me? And look what he did. Pretty cool, right? And as you look at that cross, it's, we believe it's doing something. We believe it did something. And as you look at that cross, there's a cruciform way and it's three things. The first, hear this church, is humble testimony. It's humble testimony. God's people, the church, in following the ways of Jesus, live with this humble testimony. Look at what he says here. Verse 26 to 29. It says, he's talking to the church, he says, for consider your calling, brothers and sisters, because not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. In other words, look at yourself in the mirror. Look at what God has done in you. Look at what the power of Christ has done in all people, in all times, from all different places. 
Because, but God chose. Notice, if you have a pencil and you have your Bible, circle the amount of times it says God chose. Look at his sovereign control here. It says, but God chose what is foolish, the cross, in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are resurrection. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Turn to the person next to you and say, it's not about me. Doug said this last week. Church, we are in a society that says, I am the center of the universe. It's all about building my identity. It's all about building likes and follows and views and and status. We constantly talk about this with our kids. You are not the center of the universe. I know you think you are. Humanity used to think we were. We used to think that all the planets revolved around the earth. But we were wrong. Gravity goes to where? The sun, S-O-N. And so as we talk about humble testimony, Paul here is saying, share your story. That's what a testimony is. I love, if you've ever been to Celebrate Recovery, this is one of my favorite things about CR. Almost every single Friday night, oftentimes there's a testimony. And in those testimonies, you see These stories that Paul writes about. I once was this, but now I'm this. And those testimonies, they're not always I grew up and 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 I and I was far from God and I did cocaine and I and I slept with all all over the place and I did and I almost died. And those are some testimonies. There's also testimonies of I grew up in the church. And I was raised in the Lord. I was baptized as a baby and dedicated. And my Sunday school teachers taught me the ways of the Lord, and over time I came to know Christ and to know of my confession. All of that is for his glory, and they're all beautiful. So as you think about where is the cross and what it's doing, I would say, in your testimony, is it a humble testimony? Sometimes our flesh tells a story, and even our testimony becomes about us. It becomes about, look at me, and look at how great I am. In this passage, Paul says, there's no reason to boast in the presence of God, because the foolishness of the cross is about Christ. I've been in this Lenten devotional, we've been looking at the writings and the sayings of the, of the monastic fathers and mothers. It said this in one of my readings this week. It says, just as a ship cannot be built without nails, so it is impossible to be saved without humility. As you think about sharing your testimony, as you think about sharing your story with others, be sure that the point of your story is to give glory to God. Is to give glory to God alone. Paul says, 
for I am not ashamed of the gospel, good news, for it is a power for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jews first and also to the Greeks. As you think about this, there's this humble testimony that we live in. Second, there's a sacrificial lifestyle. A sacrificial lifestyle. It's following in the way of the cross. Look at what Paul says in verse 30. He says, and because of him, Jesus, you are, in my Bible, I have in squared, circled. You are in Christ Jesus. When you see the word in Christ Jesus, that's shorthand in Paul to saying you are gospel. You have put your faith in Jesus. He's done something in you. You are changed. Because you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Righteousness becoming more and more like him. Sanctification. The working of him in your heart. Redemption. The buying back. To be righteous in God's eyes. You see, the church, as we confess these truths, it should inform the way that we live. It should inform that argument that you're having with that person. Where maybe the point is not to be right, but the point is to love her. It should inform that sibling that you're having an argument with that, that hurts you where you know I'm a Christian and the way of the cross is to let it go. It should inform that relative that you're not talking to. And even though you have all the right in the world to not talk to them, you do not if you are a Christian. Because the way of the cross lays down your life for that person. It should inform the way that you live. It should inform the way that you do your taxes. It should inform the way that you worship. It's this laying down my life. And one of the challenges is oftentimes is does my lifestyle reflect my theology? It's one thing to stand up and recite together these confessions, but if I were to start a Netflix show or a, and look at you and follow you around with a video camera, would we see the cruciform life in you? Would we see one who is still imperfect, but would we see the glory of Christ shining through your dirtiness? Would we see it? Would we see you following the words of Jesus to his disciples? Well, he says, if anyone would come after me, Matthew 16, 24, let him do what? Deny himself. Take up his cross. Follow me. This is what Lent is about. It's about 40 days of extra focus of saying, I'm gonna deny myself for the glory of God to grow in my spiritual transformation and to grow in being more and more like him through his power. He's, and then Christ says, for whoever, look at what it does here, would save his life, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will do what? This is the paradox of the cruciform way. 
This is the paradox of the way and the foolishness of Christ is that Christians, fully sanctified Christians, those who follow in the ways of Jesus, we find life in sacrifice. We find life in loving others and putting them first. We find life, hear this, the cruciform way, we find happy wonder. We find happy wonder. Meaning it's not a chore to go on the Chachilla Project. Meaning it's not a chore to wake up and get your kids ready for school and feed them breakfast. It is a chore. But God's working on me. This is why at the end of this passage, I love the way that Paul finishes it off. He says, as it is written, let the one who boasts do what? Boast in the Lord. Boast in the Lord. I love the language then. Because as we think about this, as you think about the cruciform way, as you think about this question, where's the cross and what's it doing? Here's the question. Do you like Jesus? When you boast in someone, you like him. You love him, you have a personal relationship with him. Just like I think of my children and how I, I, I love to boast about my kids. I love to boast about how cute and the silly things that they say and the silly things just the other day when a Doug's airplanes was flying over a Chowchilla. And my daughter Ruth said, that, that, that plane is going pretty slow. It must be low on batteries. Do you boast in the Lord? When you speak of Christ, is that, a, is that something that is good for you, or is that just the only way to get to heaven? You see, the gospel says, yes, we are a people of the cross, but we're also a people of the resurrection. You see, when you look at a cross, I want you to hear this. Is Jesus still hanging on that cross? A lot of blank stares here. Should be saying no. <laughs> See, the confession of the Christian church is that yes, when he died on the cross, he paid for it all. He crushed Satan and the principalities, and all of evil is destroyed, and death has no sting. And three days later, when he resurrected, that put the exclamation point that told us as Christians that it's real, that it's valid, that it's true, and when Christ our Lord resurrected and he showed his disciples his hands, were those perfect hands? No, there were nail marks in them. Hear this, church. We believe right now in this moment Christ our Lord is reigning on the throne on our behalf with nail marks of the wounds he paid for you. How could you not boast in him? How could you not say, Christ, would you help me to love my enemy? Christ, would you help me with this anger issue that I have where I continue to lash out and not act out? As many of you know, 
We are in the process of leaving our denomination, and we chose a denomination. We are going to the Kingdom Network. There'll be more information about that in the coming days. One of the things I love about this new denomination we're going is one of their values that just sings to me. It says this, our foundation is Jesus Christ. We have a passion for him, and we love him. He is preeminent, look that word up, in all that we do. His fame is our concern. Tachilla Project kids, as you head out this week, may his fame be your concern. Brother, sister in Christ, as you spend this holy week and you get excited for Good Friday when we partake together, may his fame be your concern. As you go and invite your friends to Easter, may his fame be your concern. I'd like to close with this passage from Psalm 144, verse 15, says this. Happy are the people who are in such a state. Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. Happy one day. A few moments, the worship team is gonna lead us in my favorite song, In Christ Alone. And as we sing this song together, I encourage you, fix your eyes on the cross. And may that cross not be a token a symbol, some piece of sentimentality, may that cross be a symbol of the cross that had the righteous blood of Christ shed on it. The cross that he hung on and cried out, it is finished. And as you sing with your church family in Christ alone, sing to the one with those nail-marked hands. Sing to the one with those nail-marked feet. Sing to the one that we say, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. The good news of the cross. Would you pray with me? Lord, we are so in awe of your power. We are so in awe as we sang that who is this King of glory? Son of God, Son of man. Lord, we declare together, his name is Jesus, the king of my heart, the king of glory. As we sing to you in this moment, I just believe, God, there may be some people here who have not declared faith in you. I ask God in this moment that they would pray with me. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are the son of God, that you lived a perfect life, that you came here, rode on a donkey to die for me. I confess you as my king and my savior. And I pray, Lord, for the saints, the gathered church here in this moment, that right now, God, you would strengthen us. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to lean in. God, all of us have something that your cross is reminding us of that we need to do. All of us have a fractured relationship. All of us have, have a hurt or a habit or a hang-up that we need to give to you and ask your power to do something. All of us are convicted by your spirit in this moment. We pray that we would give this to you and trust you 
to do your work in us. We pray that we would be shining lights of your gospel. And God, as your church sings together in Christ alone, may your spirit do whatever work you have. And Jesus, I pray that this would be way more than just a bunch of people coming together because that's what we do on Palm Sunday. I pray this would be a people who have a humble testimony. A people who are committed to a sacrificial way of living in you, by you, through you. And I pray, Lord, even with all the yuck, all the messy, all the hard things, all the challenges, all the darkness that we live in today, I pray, Lord, that you would provide by your spirit that happy oneness. That as we sing, we would sing as a people who boast in the Lord for your glory, for our good. In your name we pray. Thank you.